we come today to this important message titled, What Should I Believe About Holiness? What is the great climax to high school or college work? If I were to ask you that, would you say graduation? That's probably what I would say. So it leads me to another question. What is the great climax of our sojourn on earth? Is it not to stand before God and be accounted worthy? In Luke chapter 21, Jesus taught concerning his coming back for his church, for his people. And when you come to verse 34 of Luke 21, you find admonishment from the Lord to take heed to ourselves in view of the event that he was talking about, his return. Now, of what did his warning consist? If you study Luke 21 carefully, you will see two things. Number one, the lightness of the times, and number two, the tendency to carelessness. Those are the two things to watch out for. The lightness of the times and the tendency to carelessness. Verse 36 of Luke 21 is the climax. Listen. Watch, therefore, and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Now, this is a challenge to a holy or purified life. We're going to come to graduation day when we walk across the stage to get our diploma. Without holiness, no man will even see the Lord. Now, somewhere in all of the complexities of life, we have lost sight of that statement in both Old and New Testament. Without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. Notice what the Apostle John and the Apostle Peter said on this subject. 1 John 3, 3. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. What hope? the hope of his return. You live in the light of that event and it purifies you. It keeps you from evil. Peter said in 2 Peter 3.11, Seeing then that all of these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Now I can just hear some people say, Ah, that's old-fashioned. Come on, Rev. Get up to date. This is the 20th century, almost the 21st century. Let's get up to date. Do you think this is too high of a standard? Do you think that a high standard of holiness would discourage people from following after the Lord? If so, I disagree. In spite of the lightness of our times and the tendency to carelessness, in spite of the excuses that we make, it is still true that no unclean thing shall travel on God's highway of holiness. And it's still true that without holiness, no one shall see the Lord. Without holiness, no one, whether you're in the lights or nobody ever knows you, 
without holiness, nobody will see the Lord. Jesus summed it up in one little sentence that's so easy to memorize from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, my message has two points to it today. The new or modern concept, and secondly, the old or biblical concept. Makes sense, doesn't it, to examine both? Well, years ago, Cleon Skousen, the field director of the American Security Council, placed in the United States congressional record 12 objectives from a publication titled The Naked Communist from the Communist Party. And I'm only going to share them with you quickly as a foundation for this new or modern concept. Listen carefully. From the naked communists, number one, break down cultural standards of morality by promoting pornography and obscenity in books, magazines, motion pictures, radio, and television. Number two, eliminate all laws governing obscenity by calling them censorship and a violation of free speech and free press. Number three, gain control of key positions in radio, television, and motion pictures. Number four, discredit the family as an institution, encourage promiscuity and easy divorce. Number five, emphasize the need to raise children away from the negative influence of parents. Attribute prejudices, mental blocks, and retarding of children to the suppressive influence of parents. Number six, present homosexuality, degeneracy, and promiscuity as normal, natural, and healthy. Number seven, continue discrediting culture by degrading all forms of artistic expression. Eliminate all good culture from parks and public buildings and substitute shapeless, awkward, and meaningless forms. Just walk down the shopping mall. Number eight, infiltrate the churches and replace revealed religion with social religion. Discredit the Bible and emphasize the need for intellectual maturity, which does not need a religious crutch. Number nine, eliminate prayer or any phase of religious expression from the schools. Number 10, transfer some of the powers of arrest from the police to social agencies. Treat all behavioral problems as psychiatric disorders, which no one but psychiatrists can understand. Number 11, create the impression that violence and insurrection are legitimate aspects of the country's tradition, that students and special interest groups rise up and use force to solve economic, political, and social problems. And number 12, overthrow all colonial governments before native populations are ready for self-government. I share from the naked communists those 12 points to ask you, are we there? Years ago these were written. Years ago these were transcribed as a plan to undermine holiness and morality in this country. The new or modern concepts are now a part of us. The ancient writer to the Hebrew believers said, which we read together this morning, pursue holiness 
without which no one will see the Lord. Now, Dr. Ruth's answer is different than what we read here. Dr. Ruth says safe sex. God's call is to moral purity. Is the problem with Dr. Ruth alone? No, it's much broader than that. It is more often in our churches where the minister is talking about free choice and passing out condoms at the conclusion of the worship service. Incredible. God needs to be heard in the face of this new modern concept that we're living with these days. Deuteronomy 28, verses 20 and 21 speak to this same need. The Lord shall send upon thee cursing, vexation, and rebuke until thou be destroyed because of the wickedness of thy doings whereby thou hast forsaken me. The Lord shall make pestilence cleave unto thee. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19, God summed it up this way, to every generation, every nation. I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both thou and thy seed may live. That's exactly where we are right now. A choice is set before us like death. Cursing, blessing, choose life and live. We'd better listen to God. That's what I'm saying today. Listen to God. The church has fallen so far from the concepts of holiness and morality in many places. In the Christianity Today magazine, I read about a clinic that dispenses contraceptives to students at T.C. Williams High School in Alexandria, Virginia. That's not so uncommon, but this is what was surprising. That clinic operates out of the Fairlington United Methodist Church in a former Sunday school classroom. The clinic is visited by as many as six girls a day for free pregnancy tests, birth control devices, and abortion referrals. According to the magazine, the clinic is operated by Gail Francis, a registered nurse, a Roman Catholic, who is part owner of one family planning and abortion clinic and president of another. She said, I quote, I think what we're doing is a very Christian and a very meaningful outreach to the kids. I think it belongs in the church. Well, dear Gail Francis, I feel like vomiting. That is the modern concept, and I could go on and on, but I would rather move to my second point, which is the old biblical concept. We could go on ad nauseum, but I will not do that. I think you've gotten the point already. There are two things about the old biblical concept that we want to latch on to today that are liberating, joyful in their expression and bring to us a fullness of life like we'd never known possible. 
The first one is repentance. Repentance. It's not an old-fashioned term. The top item on our agenda in the church today should be repentance. We cannot win this world for Christ with an undedicated church. We cannot win this world for Christ with personalities that will not face up to their sin and say, I confess and I repent of my sin. We cannot win this world for Christ with church members who sit smugly in the pew pretending everything is all right when they're not tithing, when they're not praying, when they're not reading their Bible, when they're not witnessing for Christ, when they don't really believe that Jesus Christ is coming back soon. We'll never do it. And without holiness, we will not see God. I want you to picture a tent. Out on the perimeter of the tent, there are tent pegs that hold that tent out here. But in the middle is the most important peg of all, the middle pole. What happens if the middle pole comes down, is weak? The whole tent comes in. It just lays on the ground without that middle pole. The middle pole of the church is holiness. The middle pole is righteousness. The middle pole is honesty, forthrightness, holiness without which the tent comes down. As goes the local church, so goes the whole program of God. I just finished between services an interview with a local television station about this television scandal. What will happen to the church? You know my answer? It will be stronger than ever because our attention has been diverted and it's coming back to where it belongs. Now I am not against other organizations and other supplementary ministries except when they take the place of the church. Because God established on earth His church. And He wants the people to be channeling their ministry, their money, their efforts through the church, which He established here on earth. And that has come through loud and clear through all of this tomfoolery that's going on. Now, why is there little repentance? I have three reasons. One of them is because of what's happened in this hour, which is rather a phenomenal thing. Large gatherings, big crowds, super ministries. People love it. It's a danger right here at Capital Christian Center with thousands of worshipers every Sunday because it's possible to lose yourself in a crowd. Who will ever know? Can pastor see everybody? No. But there is somebody who does, and he knows what your heart is like. But it's a danger and a lack of repentance because of big crowds and larger gatherings and people just kind of float through all of that without really coming to grips with their spiritual need. It's dangerous. 
I challenge you to come out of that. Secondly, there in some places seems to be a feeling that if you preach holiness, you're going to disturb some of the prominent members or large contributors of the church. Not here. I don't care how much you have given or how much you plan to give. If you are a sinner, you need to repent. If you are living a lie, you need to get to this altar. I don't care how long you've been a part of this church. If you're not living the truth, you need to get on your face before God and ask His forgiveness and come into holiness. That message has got to be preached no matter what toes it happens to land on. There's a third reason, and that's television celebrities. We hear talk of mistakes, evil plots of takeovers into blackmail payments. Very little of repentance. That bothers me. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, Godly sorrow produces repentance to salvation, not to be regretted. In the sacramental union, which continues to arrive at my doorstep, even though it was canceled, I don't understand what's happening. The paper said, to its credit, the Assemblies of God is not accepting such bland assurances. Its investigation is continuing until it concludes whether the improprieties are serious enough for him to face automatic dismissal as a credentialed, ordained Assembly of God minister. Mr. McManus goes on in his editorial. Such discipline is all too rare in other denominations. Each year, a half of 1% of the assembly's pastors are investigated and are dismissed on grounds that ministers have a particular obligation to live holy, righteous lives as outlined in the Bible. However, there is a redemptive factor, a rehabilitation program in which 70% who are dismissed regain their credentials in two years. Michael McManus summed it up so beautifully. Is there a difference between leadership and the man in the pew? You'd better believe there is. Biblically, there is. 1 Timothy 3, 2-7, for example, says, He must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission, not a novice. And the last one is this, a good testimony among those outside. I say it is different. Paul repeats almost the same thing in the book of Titus, chapter 1. I have young people come to me and say, Pastor, where do you buy your shoes? Where did you get that suit? One young fellow said, what do you use on your hair? Do you know my reaction to those kinds of questions? I tremble. Literally tremble. Because those young people are saying, I look up to you. I not only hear what you say, I watch what you wear. 
and certainly they watch how I walk. Now, friends, that puts a holy responsibility on the leader who stands at a pulpit or before a television camera and says, Jesus is the answer to your need. Trust him, serve him, turn your life over to him, and everything will be wonderful, and then live differently than you're saying into that camera or saying from the pulpit. Because we pull people down with us when we fail. The Old Testament priests had a different standard than others in how they looked, in what they did, and the New Testament standard is the same in how they live and in how they conduct themselves is to be a level above the rest. When hands are laid upon us and we are ordained into ministry, we commit ourselves to a set of rules that are not quite the same as those in the pew. That's why there's little repentance, it seems. Crowds, prominent members, large contributors, celebrities who talk of mistakes and etc. instead of David who said, I have sinned. That's why David was a man after God's heart. He said, I have sinned. He didn't blame it on another evangelist. He didn't blame it on another person. He said, I have sinned. I alone am guilty. And God raised him back up and put him back on television again. <laughs> Number one, you've got to repent. What's the second beautiful step that leads to joy and peace and usefulness? Obedience. Obedience. That's it. You've got to follow the pattern. Thou shalt and thou shalt not. Start in Exodus 20. Thou shalt and then thou shalt not. You move from the positive to the negative. You follow the pattern. You obey it. Blessing. Cursing if you do not. I was reading the Reader's Digest coming home on the plane the other day. I love the section life in these United States. There was a story of this fellow who was talking to his aged mother, who evidently lived with him. And he was telling her about a friend who died and left three children behind. And his 93-year-old mother said, Oh, that's too bad. Why didn't God take me instead of her when she had those responsibilities to take care of? And the son said to his mother, Now, mother... The Lord has left you here on earth for a purpose. He must have something else he wants you to do. This 93-year-old shriveling up mother looked at her son and said, Well, I'm telling you right now, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> I just love that. Because I relate to it. Sometimes we don't want to do it. It's too hard to receive. The consequences may be too great. But we ought to know by now that when we obey, it's better than sacrifice. And the blessing of God flows down to where we are. Samuel thundered this truth to Saul in 1 Samuel 15, verse 19, when he said, Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? 
Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? Then he added these words, To obey is better than sacrifice. Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. You see, when we don't obey and we don't repent, the conscience hardens. Have you ever lived in a cold enough climate where the ponds freeze over? The frost begins to come in, and unless you keep the water stirring, there will develop a layer of ice. And if it sets stagnant for so long a time, that ice gets thicker and thicker and thicker until you could drive a semi over top of it without it caving in. The conscience is exactly like that Minnesota pond. Films come over it gradually until at last it becomes hard and unfeeling and is not crushed even with heavy loads of iniquity. You can drive the religious semi across the top of it and it won't give because it's become so hard by time and inattention. Neighbor with a broken heart, I come to this pulpit today to plead with you to hear the word of God. Be ye holy as I am holy, for without holiness no man, no man, shall see the Lord. Why are we so stubborn and so proud that we will hold on to our sins, our blasphemies, our lustfulness, and not bring it to the foot of the old rugged cross and let the blood of Jesus drip down over our sins, cleansing us and washing us from our impurity? What is the answer to holiness? I think it can best be described in the 91st Psalm where the psalmist said, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. It begins with dwelling where every attack of the enemy can be warded off. You're dwelling in the secret place. You don't say it was somebody else's fault. You're dwelling in the secret place, and God gives you the strength to ward off the temptation in your battle, which is not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual powers and wickedness in high places. Dwelling, communing, feeding, drinking of his life-giving spirit until you come down to these words in the 91st Psalm, with long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. That's what we want. That's what we're crying for. Long life and the joy of God's salvation. Don't let anything keep you from it. Friends, come clean with God today. Those of you who are watching us by television, 
Pick the phone up. Call a counselor. Somebody who's waiting to pray for you. Don't put it off as you feel the conviction of God's Holy Spirit where you are. Call that number and get it right with God. I plead with you to do that. And those of you who are here, if you've been a member of this church for 40 years, but you've got hidden sin, Proverbs 15 says, God beholds the evil and the good. He sees it all. You haven't fooled anybody. It may take seven years before it hits the paper, but you can be sure your sin will find you out. It's written in the book. How fundamental are the fundamentals? Oh, without the foundation, we sink and we perish. Without holiness, we're not going to make it. Bow your heads with me, please, as we talk to God. And I would ask that nobody move or leave between now and the time of our dismissal. We want to reverence God and give opportunity for people to touch God. Now, Lord, hallow this altar service with your might and presence. May people be honest with you. I pray that there will come a great spirit of honesty in this congregation today. Yes, a spirit of repentance and a spirit of obedience. Moving from the modern concept to the old biblical concept of holiness and righteousness. Now I want to pray for you. How many of you here need Christ in your life? You would lift up a hand and say, Pastor, before you finish that prayer, will you include me in this prayer? I want Christ to forgive me of my sins. I want you to raise your hand right now, real high, and hold it there till I see it. Yes, over to my left, I see several hands, numbers of them over on this side, yes, in this second section, and way over to the wall. And I see hands back in this section on the right side, and over here, and over here, oh my, throughout, yes, way up there. Tell you what, staff, would you come? Those of you who have just raised your hands, would you do me a favor and do yourself a favor? Would you come down here so I can pray with you in the front and give you material to take home that will help you as you begin to walk with Christ? I want to pray for you right here. Would you just come? Get up right now. You raised your hand. Start walking toward this altar. Join us right here, loving, caring people. Wherever you raise that hand, way up there, it'll take just a few seconds to come right on down the stairway. And they are coming from all over this building. And while they're coming, let me ask this question. How many of you have been in the church, but you know there are things in your life that need to be repented of? God isn't happy with them, and you want to lay them at his cross today. Would you raise your hand, lift it up right now? Be honest now. Come on, this is honesty day. God bless you. Hands are going up all over this building. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Oh, Jesus, minister to my friends who are coming to this altar. Minister to those who have raised their hand in the pew. Forgive us of our sins. Give us a spirit of holiness. And Lord, for those watching us by television, please, where they are, may they feel the same thing we're feeling here at Capital Christian Center today. And may they turn from their sin 
and follow after Jesus from this day forward to get involved with the Bible-believing church and obey the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Let us all stand together as we begin to sing, I Surrender All. Let's raise our hand and give it all to Jesus. If you need to come to this altar, come. If you need water baptism, come over by the flag and receive the material. Follow him in baptism. Let's raise a hand of dedication as we sing it together all over the auditorium. Oh.